Kayla Hunt, host of the Columbus Chamber's CBuzz podcast, where we bring you conversations with local leaders on trending topics in business. This episode is going to be a little bit different from what you typically might hear on the podcast. We are sharing a conversation from the Chamber's Retail Summit, an event focused on reflecting the energy and the diversity of the industry, especially right here in the Columbus region. In this episode, you'll hear from Cindy Monroe, founder and CEO of 31 Gifts, Denise Dosi DeLong, president of Singleton Construction, and Lauren Coley, founder of Fox in the Snow, as they share their experiences as women in business with me. We hope you enjoy this conversation. And if you're interested in future events like Retail Summit, be sure to visit the Chamber's events page at columbus.org forward slash events. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Cindy Monroe, and I'm the founder and CEO of 31 Gifts. If you don't know what 31 is, we have some great little bags and thermal totes, and we sell those great products through about 60,000 sales consultants in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, we are based here in Columbus, so super excited to be here today. Great to have you, and I love that fall feel that we've got yes, going on there with your latest stuff. I feel it. Uh, my name's Lauren Cully. Um, I, along with my husband, own um, a small bakery in Columbus called Fox in the Snow. Um, we uh, opened in 2014 and are getting ready to open our third location at the end of this year. Um, and feel very humbled to be in between these two women. So I'm happy to be here. <laughs> my name is Denise Josie DeLong, and I'm with Singleton Construction. We're a nationwide general contractor that focuses on commercial construction uh, in the retail area, 39 states, and um, that's what we do. And, and 39 states in Columbus, yes, as I would put Columbus, it. Yes, yes, 39 yes, states in Columbus. Yes. So we're going to have a pretty broad conversation uh, today talking a little bit kind of about these ladies' professional journeys, why Columbus, which I think is really important to discuss that because I think each of you have a very specific reason as to why. Um, a little bit about women in retail and also about what's next. So we're going to dive right in. First of all, Denise, you're right to my right. So I want to ask you, ask you this. You're following in your in your mom's footsteps, I guess. Yeah. So tell me um, how this company started and how you chose to kind of go that direction. Well, my mother and actually um, Chris Singleton started the company. They started in residential construction and were approached by Walmart to do subcontract work, flooring work. And so they started that path. That was the first commercial construction they did. And as Walmart evolved, their business evolved and eventually became a general contractor. I got involved back in 2006. My mom was actually traveling superintendent at that time. Um, it, it was difficult for women to work directly with Walmart in administration role, and so she focused on the field because that's where she could have the biggest impact was actually with the construction workers. When I got, she got sick and um, she got breast cancer, and of course being a traveling superintendent and having breast cancer does not work. So she started to struggle. It was a really small organization, they're 100% focused on Walmart, and so she had approached me, and initially I said, no way, and um, I said, there's just, uh, you know, so I thought more about it and said, if you can't help your mother, who can you help? And so decided to come on board, and then it was just kind of, just hold on for dear life and you know, oh. work, 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 and you know, just never give up. And did Walmart, is that really what took you because of that subcontractor relationship and what they asked you to do? Is that how you really got that national footprint going originally? Yes. Yeah. What, what the retail, we go for large, large retailers with big construction programs. And then what we do is um, we'll travel around the country. So take Walmarts, we do remodels and they'll have multiple prototypes and we'll just go to different states, um, you know, like a Walgreens, for example, you know, they'll roll out a program and we'll train teams and they just travel from place to place. So that's really common in large retail programs that they want people to travel because consistent quality, consistent pricing, they don't want to have to retrain local resources every time that you do a project. Mm -hmm. So Walmart's model and then we just pretty much evolved from that and added Dollar General. We travel around do six remodels a week. Six remodels a, a week? week? Yes. Wow. So similar situations. So those train crews just go from project to project. Like you were just talking 
talking about, for example, her stores, you know, same thing that once she was talking about how she uses the same general contractor over and over. Lauren's There's, building a new one if you didn't yeah. hear it, by the way. <laughs> I think we all know. Yeah. So you want those teams that already know what your expectations are, what your quality is, and, and the crew's coming. And same thing with, you know, you mm -hmm. want to know that that person's going to follow through and deliver. And if they've done the project before, you've got a much better chance of that happening. So that's why that worked in terms of nationally. Exactly. You guys are doing what you're doing for yeah, Walmart. Exactly. So some of you may or may not know, Cindy actually started in insurance. And um, <laughs> how did you take this leap from that to this? Well, I think that, um, you know, going to college, getting those first, that first corporate job um, really wasn't too excited about sitting in the cubicle <laughs> for the rest of my life. And I wanted to have a bigger impact. And I think any entrepreneur, you know, you get that bug or that vision of, oh my goodness, like, what could I do? How could I impact other people? How could, you know, we offer jobs. And so that vision just would not go away and that dream would not go away. So I really started kind of piddling in it. Um, what now is known as the MVP approach, like I was hosting the first parties while I was still working full time. And we were, you know, a good year before I actually quit my job, uh, my corporate job. So um, yeah, it's 15 years ago uh, next month, or in October, yeah. 15 years has gone fast, I 15 guess. years has gone fast. <laughs> my goodness. Um, and with it too, I've seen where you never expected it to be where it is today. Absolutely not. I mean, I held the first party. I brought in our first sales consultant, which she's still with us today. Brought in our first employee. She just celebrated her 14th uh, anniversary yesterday. So we still have our first employee and first sales consultant. And none of us thought. I mean, we were just, you know, adding on. And you just kind of take it one step at a time, just like one store at a time, one, you know, consultant at a time, one party at a time. And here we are, you know, it's become huge and just the fast paced growth, I mean, was incredible and really challenging. Uh, I would not recommend the growth uh, that we experienced, uh, but it was one of those things that I wasn't really, con you know, just saying, oh, let's open all these new stores or whatnot. But it really just kind of went viral is what we know today. Right. Back then, I mean, we really didn't know what the word viral was. Um, so it just kind of kept exploding. Word of mouth was happening, and uh, so it went across the country. 1,900% in four years oh. is the kind of rise we're talking about. Yeah, it was yeah. insane. <laughs> Insane. That, that's a yeah. good, good way to put it. And we will dive into some of the lessons obviously learned through that as we talk a little bit here during this panel today. Lauren, um, how many of you have been to Fox in the Snow? Multiple times? Oh, many great. times? Um, fantastic. You know, they have such great goods. And, you know, Lauren actually was a book editor in New York mm -hmm. when, when you decided to leave your job mm -hmm. and pursue Baking. Yeah. So how does that happen? I mean, like, you have your apartment, you're in New York. What, what happens? Um, so I was, like you said, I was a book editor in New York, and I thought that was going to be my career. And um, I was really struggling with this idea of making other people's dreams come true, where you would, you know, watch someone's book come to fruition and sell it and market it. And um, I was starting to get a little antsy sitting in the cubicle and I was getting a little jealous of all this creative work that the people around me were able to do. And so uh, I just decided to um, volunteer at bakeries around Manhattan in, on nights and weekends. So I just wrote to every bakery that I admired and I was like, I have a graduate degree, I'll show up to work, you don't have to pay me, I'll just sweep your floors if I know, if I can learn how to work in a kitchen. Um, and every single place that I wrote to said yes. And so I would leave my job and I would go literally sweep around the bakers as they were making different things. But I was learning the vernacular of the kitchen, the movement of the kitchen, what I liked and what I didn't like. Um, and then it got to the point where I was begrudgingly going to work because all I really wanted to do was to get back into the bakeries. So um, I applied for this job for a company called Blue Bottle, which is a pretty big company on the East Coast and on the West Coast. And um, it was for a pastry assistant, which really was just a cookie scooper. <laughs> and um, I like the way they made it sound. Yeah, I know. Well, I couldn't believe they didn't want a culinary degree. So I applied and uh, got the job because it was 
I was scooping cookies. And I <laughs> called my parents and I was like, I think I'm gonna take this job. It's gonna pay me $12 an hour in Manhattan. And I'm gonna leave my career, I'm gonna go work at this bakery. And my dad was like, okay, but maybe if you do this, like think about where this will eventually take you. Like, do you want your own place? Are you just gonna do this forever? Like, just think about that as you do this job. So um, the first day there I met my husband who was running the front of house, so he was doing all the coffee side. Um, and then once I got in, I realized that what I liked even more than scooping the cookies was running the bakery, so um, doing all the ordering and the pars and the hiring and all of that kind of stuff, the training. So when my husband and I started dating, um, I was like, I'm gonna fill you in on this little secret. I think I eventually wanna do my own shop. Um, and I came back to visit my family who live in Columbus and I was like, you know, if somebody did the kind of thing that we were doing in Brooklyn, I think they would crush it. And my dad was like, why don't you come back and do it? So I went back and I was like, I think I'm gonna move back to Columbus and I'm gonna open this bakery. And uh, Jeff was like, I will do this with you. He had never been to Ohio. We had no idea what we were doing. We spent the summer, I mean, we Googled business plan. Um, we had no, <laughs> no, we were like as naive as you could possibly get. Talk about early on. Yes, yes, yes. yeah, it's embarrassing at this point. But we spent the summer coming up with a menu and uh, a name and a concept. We flew back to Columbus a couple times to meet with potential investors to feel what kind of neighborhood we wanted to be in. Um, and then we just made the leap in uh, January of 2014. And then I found the building we're in now, our first location on Craigslist. <laughs> and um, it just said garage for rent and there was no picture. And I knew the neighborhood <laughs> and I was like, we walked in and it was the same price as our studio in Brooklyn was. And she was like, the parking lot's included. And we were like, we'll take it. <laughs> so, um, and then we jumped into this huge construction project that we knew nothing about. Um, and we just, like Cindy was saying, we just did like step by step by step. Yeah. We opened, I opened with one other baker. We had two baristas. We expected it to be very, very slow. Um, and we sold out the first day, I think within the first hour. And then the next day we sold out in the first like hour and a half. And then we just kept going like that. And so- um, And you continue to keep going like that. Yeah, actually um, our original location hasn't plateaued since we opened in four years, which has been overwhelming. Like when you were saying it's not, I mean, Everybody says it's a good problem to have, and you're like, yeah, but it's still a problem. A problem. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's been amazing. It's been overwhelming. And so um, we're at the point right now where we're trying to learn how to do um, smart growth and fast growth and um, just learning as we go, honestly. Um, you had some foresight, though, with that 4th Street corridor, though, mm -hmm. because that was still kind of up and coming mm -hmm. at the time where you picked it and said, hey, mm -hmm. I know this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So on your part, that was really savvy. Mm -hmm. You talked a little bit about coming to Columbus. Um, Cindy, let me ask you, because what did growth look like pre-Columbus, and, and what made you decide to commit to Columbus? Because you were in Tennessee. Yeah, so I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's where the accent's from. And um, so we were starting to definitely hit growth of 80% 100% year over year and so I knew that it was growing really fast and I knew we were trying to hire talent in Chattanooga and we're really struggling with the kind of talent we needed people that could plan for inventory and I was actually and and others but we were working with a sourcing company here in Columbus, and um, so I was already traveling up here to kind of work with sourcing some of our products. And um, it real as we just started growing, it was actually the time that the country was in a recession, and which is typical for direct sales because if you've got a spouse or someone that's lost their job, they're looking for extra income to pay for those bills. So that's when they'll come and try out direct selling and they'll try to make that extra $400,000, $600,000 just to pay that car payment, uh, take a little bit of pressure off. So we actually were growing <laughs> super fast and um, so we were like, well, there's a lot of retail talent in Columbus. And so I posted a job and I posted it here in Columbus and Atlanta 
for specifically an inventory planner. And the ones in Atlanta had planned inventory for like a gap store versus inventory planners here had planned inventory for all of limited or all, of, you know, so it was a totally different level. And so whenever I started looking at that talent, um, it was really something that I knew we needed to scale the business. Because I didn't know how to plan inventory for a multi-million dollar business. And I, you know, was struggling to, you know, run the business and from an operations standpoint, there was tons of talent here, logistics. I mean, just so much talent here that we really knew that if we were going to scale with the business and the growth that we were experiencing, we needed some other talent. And that's been, I think, you know, hiring the right people, bringing them on at the right time. I was probably a little slow to hire because, like, it's just hard whenever you're growing to say, you know, to hire a couple of people at six-figure incomes whenever you're not even making six figures as the owner. You know? <laughs> you're barely making, you know, what you made out of college. And so, um, yeah, you're hiring people that are making more money than you are, but that is part of the entrepreneur kind of side of it. It is how do you foresee, you know, either the right location or when to bring people on for your team to match that growth. And so Columbus was great for talent and we would not be where we are today if it wasn't for this great city and all the talent here. I love that you tested Atlanta and Columbus mm -hmm. with that post and we worked out and yeah. what you discovered. Mm -hmm. I, I love to hear that story with you coming from Tennessee. Now, Denise, you're shaking your head yes as Cindy is talking about talent and growing in, in yeah. that area. So um, as as Denise mentioned, they're national, but you're kind of doing some doubling down here in Columbus, I would say so too. Tell me about what that journey has looked like for you in terms of choosing that and the talent piece that Cindy yeah. was just talking about. Yeah, well, I was thinking when she was saying that, that, um, and this was, I don't know, probably six years ago, that you know, when I started, it was 2006, and so we hit a big recession shortly after that, and so it was all about how do you keep your costs as low as possible to survive. And I remember talking to my previous owner of the business I worked for because I was trying to decide whether to hire an overhead position, and he said, okay, you have two choices here. You can either not hire it and for sure fail, or you can hire and potentially succeed. Okay. And that, that little tidbit has continued to stay in the back of my mind when you talk about talent, that, you know, what I want, do I want to for sure fail or do I want to possibly succeed? So I, I choose the, you know, to succeed. But, you know, with us, the workforce has been such an, an evolution because it, it evolves as the economy evolves. So when construction, when we were in the you know Great Recession, there were so many people available. We migrated up towards Michigan because Mich Michigan was hit so hard, and they had such a surplus of construction labor. So we started pulling out of Michigan. So yeah, so we'll go to different markets like Texas was until they had the hurricane. That was also a um, an area that had surplus from oil and gas. So yeah, so we'll move around. But right now, what we're facing as an industry is you know the numbers, the scales are in line, meaning we have such a larger amount of people leaving the industry than coming in the industry. So what we're doing as a company is to say, okay, how, you know, how do we address this issue ourselves? You know, how do we get people interested in the construction industry? We're looking at a 10-year pipeline is what we have to look at. What so 10 years? 10 years because what we say is from middle school up till right out of college age. And again, because you know we need kids with a college degree potentially, right? That's an asset to us. But then we need to get these kids excited about construction because you know, parents don't talk to the kids about, I shouldn't say, I'm not trying to overgeneralize, but for the most part, you know, parents are talking about college with their kids. They're not talking about going into the construction. So we need to get the parents and the kids excited at a much younger age. So th that's all new development to us. So Singleton's trying to figure out what we do. And so we say workforce development, well, back when there was a shortage of jobs, everybody was willing to travel because we pay a premium for people to travel. I mean, our wages are top. And so they'll, they'll travel. Well, then when, again, that market starts constricting and there's more opportunities for them, they don't want to travel. So we're like, okay, how do you get a kid interested in traveling around the country and being gone from their family and friends and for months at a time? And so that has to all go into that. So we talk about that pipeline, being able to cycle people through. We have, I call them the warriors. I mean, we have a gentleman that worked for my dad that's been on the road for about 18 years. So he leaves January and doesn't come back until October, November, every year, year after year. Well, we're thinking, okay, we can get somebody two to three years, but still that's two to three years. So 
again, it's just a constant evolution. What's going on in the economy? You know, this pending shortage of labor. How do we address that? And then the great opportunities in Columbus. When, again, when the recession, we were with value brands. You know, you talk about Walmart, Dollar General, Family Dollar, Dollar Tree, um, you know, TJX. Value, they were strong. And so you stuck with that. Well, now Columbus is booming. And we're like, oh my gosh, we have all these great opportunities in our backyard. Talk about workforce development. You can get people locally hired, local work. So it's just, again, now Columbus is much more attractive to us. And so it just takes time to build those networks. It's a different strategy for us. So I've heard a little bit from you guys so far about the things that made Columbus attractive. And probably some of this plays into my next question. I mean, what is that secret to building a brand locally when you've chosen the place where you're going to build that brand out of, even when you're a national brand? Um, or you have a situation like Lauren's. I mean, how do you build locally? What has been kind of your secret to building locally? Before we opened the shop, we met with uh, James Freeman, who started Blue Bottle and who's since made a lot of money by selling it. But we were talking to him about whether or not we should hire someone to do all of our branding, to hire a brand manager. And he was like, all that branding is, is thinking about every single detail and how it all fits together. And you guys both know how to do that. So. Um, it was a really great piece of advice for us because it's something that I think we still do and it's almost, at this point, one of our primary jobs is maintaining this brand, which in reality is just, for us, how do we make spaces beautiful, how do we make products beautiful and taste good, and then how do we create customer service that's, that we think is excellent. And so for us, it's really just paying attention to those three things. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've, we have a lot of brand loyalty from young people, and we don't have a marketing or a publicity budget at all in any of our shops or locations. We've never paid for advertising. And a lot of it has come through Instagram and like young people snapping, like we were talking about. And, um, and for us, I think a lot of the time, what we've figured out is that young people know when they're being marketed to, and young people know when you're trying to make something cool. Oh, yes, they do. Yep. And so um, for us, you know, it's a, it's a genuine place. It's really like, from, I mean, it's our livelihood. It's uh, the people that have been with us. Are, we see them more than we see our families. So for us, it's a, it's a real thing, and it's not... Um, you know, we're not like, oh, this is, this is, a, foxes are cool with kids right now, so we'll do fox, you know, we're not going that way. And so for us, it's, it's, when I think about building a brand, it's really just how do you create something excellent and genuine at the same time, um, which is an ongoing thing. Uh, and f making sure that people around you have the same standards that you do and um, constantly getting feedback from guests and customers and what do you guys want and letting the shop sort of evolve into this thing that that the community wants it to be and so i think that's also how you build within a city which is like what does the city want it to be i mean when we opened we were like we're opening a coffee shop and we're going to sell a couple pastries and then that was not the case and now it's we are a bakery that sells coffee and then once we got about a year in we were like oh we sell egg sandwiches and that's <laughs> and then we sell cinnamon rolls on the side and also you can get a coffee so we're like letting the shop sort of become what what I think the city wants it to be. And we were talking about how we're, um, we always imagined it, Fox in the Snow, as an urban shop. And we were like, we'll be downtown and maybe we'll do one in Columbus and then we'll go to Nashville or we'll go to, you know, Indy or something like that. And um, then we listened to the city and the city's like, no, we want another location and we want them in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And so it's letting, Columbus dictate what they want this place to be because in the end it belongs to Columbus It doesn't really belong to you at a certain point anymore. And so um, That's what we're trying to do. I love that mm -hmm. and it has nothing to do about what did the Fox say? So I appreciate that <laughs> the rise of the popularity no. of Fox with children and uh, and the Fox stamp um, I love that though Columbus what, what Columbus is turning it into. It, I mean it be um, and I think most business owners would say that at a certain point, the bit, I mean, it becomes bigger than you. And you have, I mean, at a certain point, you have so many employees. I have like 100, so I don't have anywhere near either one of these two women. But for us at a certain point, too, it just becomes bigger than you and 
from in my case our partner in this idea and so it's really just protecting the original idea you had while still letting it evolve okay so cindy given that because it has evolved to so much bigger than you at this point how do you build that brand locally with kind of you in the position that you're in and all these people and these partnerships that you have what's been key lately do you notice for you in terms of building this brand and keeping it going so i think what's been key is that word protecting <laughs> like we started out as you know this small family oriented business and in Chattanooga um, whenever you do have a hundred employees it's super easy to like celebrate birthdays and to you know have Thanksgiving lunch and so um, for us whenever we moved up here it was about how can we protect that family environment and uh, we had to work really hard at it and because we were growing so fast we were bringing in people from so many different companies and it almost became this melting pot of everybody else's like brand and culture and things like that so we really had to be um, intentional about protecting what we were building and making sure that we were aligning our values and our principles with what we wanted the company to be 25 years from now. So um, we really have worked hard on protecting that. So we still have Thanksgiving lunch for a thousand employees. And every month we have cupcakes and we celebrate birthdays and anniversaries every single month with a thousand employees on three different shifts. Every shift, even on the weekends, gets their birthday celebration. So I really do feel like that for me, our brand is like the experience of the people. And so, like you were talking about for Columbus, like we look at what experience do our employees have every single day when they come to work? And what experience do our consultants, our sellers have every single day whenever they're trying to do business with us? And what experience do our customers, our end consumers have when they're trying to do business with, you know, either the website or at a home party? Um, so I think that really our brand has been about how do we protect the experience? Because we're really in the people business. I think most of us are in the people business. Like this is just fun product that we get to sell. But at the end of the day, if I don't create a great brand or an experience for the people that are involved, then they're not going to stay with us. And I think that's exactly what you were sharing as far as like Columbus dictates that, but you, you've got to make sure that they're getting their experience or your customers are. And that's really what I feel like we've built a brand on and why people love to work for us. And they stay with us. Denise, what do you really feel like is coming up for this region? You, you touched on it a little bit, but that will make a difference in your business and being here in Columbus. What, what do you think is coming down the pike? Well, just the growth. I mean, you know, when they talk about one a million people in the next 20 years, and that's going to be additional space. And I mean, as Columbus grows, those are buildings. So again, just a huge amount of opportunity. And then just the transformation going on in retail that you know, we focus on remodels, tenant improvements, basically internal work, and all of that transformation is work for, you know, for Singleton. So I'd say combination of you know, the economy growing, you know, Columbus being one of the fastest growing cities in, in the country, and to see like 2020 and the work that they're doing, I just am so impressed with what Columbus is doing. And just like we go after good customers, the reason why you go after Walmart is because they perform year after year. And so Columbus is like a customer. It's one big customer. And I think that the future is really positive and we need to address that and be involved. And it's exciting to be locally involved. I mean, the more I get engaged, it's, 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 it, you know, we didn't have that. It's so disjointed from our customers because they're spread out all over the country, and it's really nice growing those relationships locally. I didn't have that, so. And Lauren, you kind of answered that when you were talking about like the suburbs and what Columbus wants and kind of tapping into that and making a difference for your business. Cindy, for you, what do you think is gonna make the difference for your business in this region or what, that's coming up if you had to kind of look out? What are some of the things that you're really pleased with or excited about? So I think it's just continuing to be attractive for talent. I mean, the same reason that brought us here, we have to continue to evolve as a business. And I think that, you know, we have to, you know, continue growing, we have to be innovative, and we have to stay entrepreneurial. And if we don't have that talent coming in to help us with being entrepreneur, 
and being innovative, then, you know, we're just going to kind of squash our growth or our potential. So I really do feel like that Columbus has to continue, and they're working really hard on it, on being attractive so that whenever I'm looking for the next, you know, VP or executive at our company, I'm able to attract them to come want to work here in Columbus. Mm-hmm. And so I hear talent is something that we're really competitive at and great at here in Columbus from from all of you. Um, What other competitive elements do you think we have in our market that are good for us or that need a little bit of growth, like if you had to assess? So for us, um, if you've been downtown in July, you may have noticed that we have a huge convention. And I'm sorry for any inconvenience that may have (laughs) caused you. But they have been really great to, for us to be able to host our convention. So we had 11,000 people, and I was just, I'm really proud that the uh, city has enough hotels mm-hmm. that they really work with us on making it a great experience. I mean, if you go into one of those hotels, they have pink lemonade for our guests whenever they arrive to make sure that it's unique and special for us. And they'll have pink sugar cookies or whatnot. So really do feel like that Columbus has tried to be, you know, cutting edge while keeping our hometown feel and really making it personal. And so I will just say from uh, just the experience whenever our customers, our consultants are coming in, um, it's been great. They've been a great city and we have worked with many other cities and then there's a lot of cities that just don't even have enough hotel space for 11,000 people so that's been a real competitive advantage for us yeah I love that. and those personal details those unique yes. details are so right I mean you wouldn't necessarily expect that if you were going into a Boston or somewhere else right but we roll it out we do mm-hmm. yes what about you ladies what do you think other competitive beyond kind of talent and what Cindy was talking about some of those unique elements like what else does Columbus do well competitively and do you think we can continue to grow I think cost of living is a huge advantage Mm -hmm. for Central Ohio. And um, when you talk about, we were just, Carolyn and I were just at an event and we were talking about how they were trying to attract people from Silicon Valley, et cetera. And to show people, everybody thinks Ohio, you know, cornfields. And it's, it's, I mean, it's a vibrant city. It's, you know, you can raise your family, great school systems. I think people in the Midwest are, some of the greatest people in the country. They're friendly, they're open and honest. So I think that the culture of, of Columbus is fantastic. I think the cost of living and hopefully it remains that way is a competitive advantage. And then the schools that we have, mm-hmm. we have an amazing um, a group of colleges here. And so I, I think it's just kind of, there, you know, there's a whole lot of positive factors going on. Mm-hmm. I'm I am coming from a completely different perspective because the majority of my employees are under the age of 30. So um, for me, the biggest thing is that Columbus is able to retain those people so that people graduate from OSU and then live here instead of leave. But um, you had also talked about what we can work on. And so from my perspective, as Columbus gets bigger, it also means that rent prices go up or yeah. like my construction costs go up because the contractors are like, well, Bridge Park's opening up and I can send all my people over there. And so there are challenges also for me as a small business to growing. So that's one of the larger ones for me at this point is, you know, if I had moved from New York to Columbus today, that building, that that garage that I got on 4th Street, there is a 0% chance that we'd ever be able to get that. So I think that for us, um, real estate is now a really big issue for us. And then coming from a a food and hospitality standpoint, there's a lack of national press for the really amazing places in Columbus in terms of food. So you always hear about like Portland, Maine or LA or Chicago and things like that, but it's hard to get um, national magazines or things like that to come to the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And so we're struggling with that now and we're working with other people in the industry about how can we get people to pay attention to the really amazing artisans, essentially, that are making food and good products here. So um, that's what we're working on. Because when it, when it tastes so good, we know it, and the, the products are so interesting. 
But I guess thinking about that, to your point, you're right. You know, national media, when mm -hmm. it comes to writing about food in Columbus, we don't see a lot of it. I mean, I know that um, some of the groups here in town, I want to say Experience Columbus brings in bloggers. They do. Right? They're great about that. Experience Isn't Columbus. That's Yes. And Experience Columbus has been more than amazing for us as a company, but um, we're also, you know, uh, we get overlooked a lot of the time. And so for us, it's it's how can we draw attention to how amazing Columbus is and the work that's being done here. So we're going to continue to get real this morning because I wanted to dig in really with these ladies. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the disadvantages of women in retail. You know, at this time, I mean, there's, there, we're, we're in this moment of empowerment. There's so much talk. We've got great stuff going on as women in business. But women in retail and women in business, what are some of the disadvantages you've seen for women who are putting themselves out there and doing what you're doing? I don't look at it as disadvantages because in a lot of cases our disadvantages are our advantages. I think with me, you know, females in construction, it's, you know, Jen Kilgore is here, my director of business development, and she and I come into an event and there's not very many where it's two women together. So it's almost like you're, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be rude of this, but almost like a freak factor, right? I mean, we're just different. <laughs> so they'll remember us. What are you doing? And how are you doing? Yeah, that? right. Yeah. Right. So, so they'll they'll remember us. And um, so, if you're calling back on somebody, you're not competing with a list of 100 men. If you say this is Denise or Jennifer, they're going to more likely remember you. Um, I, there, I'd say the disadvantages. You know, I learned a long time ago that men and women are not the same, and we're not ever going to be the same. And I have no desire to go fishing with you. I have no desire to go hunting with you. I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to you drink golf. with you. I do golf. Okay. I do golf, but I, I don't. I don't want to be your pal. I, I'm here to do business. And so, if you are respectful and you have a good product and you do a good job, they'll work with you. But they're not going to work with me because I fish with them. They're not going to work with me because I hunt with them. So again, you just have to really make sure that your product is fantastic, and then you'll you'll get business. And you know, just don't don't worry about the differences because you, you can't change that. You know. Are, are are they subtle or are they not so subtle disadvantages if we think about it then, or are are so, they truly our advantages? So I would kind of build on that that I make it my advantage. So like whenever I'm walking into a room full of male bankers or a um, you know a vendor that's a room full of men like sometimes I think their expectation is so low of what I'm going to actually bring to the table that I actually make it an advantage because I can come in and I can talk about an income statement and balance sheet you know pretty well like you know I don't have a degree in it and it's not what I do all day every day but I, I think that their bar of me just being this like little bag lady like is down here and so like I come in and I'm actually you know telling them what I want and what I'm looking for and what I'm not willing to do, you know? And so I, I make it an advantage for me. I would say that the one hard thing has been um, really built, uh, gaining the trust of some of my male executives. So I think that, you know, anytime during an interview process, I'm like, okay, like it is, I don't know if you've worked for a woman before, but you know, th this is, you know, probably a little different than if you have worked for that, um, that male kind of power figure or whatnot. She said we think differently, so yes. yes. Yeah, we so think a little bit differently. My leadership style is quite a bit different. It's a little bit more, or it's a lot more collaborative. Mm -hmm. I like to make decisions with a um, kind of group. We let people work on other projects. So if you come work at 31, you're not sitting at a desk doing a job all the time. Like you are working on projects that may be in marketing or that may be in sales or that may be in operations or IT. And our employees love that. But I think that, you know, so many times kind of the old school of leadership is you are hired to come in and do this job and you're going to do that job. Mm -hmm. And so I really do think that that's part of what helps retain some of our younger 
employees is that they even get to not only work on other projects, but we have people that used to work in finance that are now sitting in sales or that are sitting in business intelligence. And so uh, really being able to kind of move them around in that collaborative leadership style there again, I've used as an advantage for our culture and our employees. But I do think that if I'm hiring in men that come from that other culture and that other leadership style, it takes some adjustment. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the power of mentorship then, given, I mean, I love that you're saying you're walking into these meetings and you are setting the stage for women that come after you, right, into some of these meetings right. with, that are dominated with males, investors, things like that. Um, to that degree in helping other women, how do we give that hand to other women? You know, how do we do that in a, in a way through mentorship? Um, and I know, Denise, for those of you who may not have seen it, it was all over the place. I mean, you're doing this work with Maria Sharapova and her group. T tell us about mentorship via what you're experiencing there right now. Well, you figure when I started this job, I, I mean, I can remember sitting down on a bench in a Walmart with, you know, a thousand construction plans on my lap thinking, oh my gosh, what have I just got myself into? And so I immediately engaged in reaching out to other general contractors, peers, you know, how do you do this? What do you do? And so that has been my MO from day one. It's just constant networking. And I think that, you know, having that, you know, low ego, you know the willing to willingness to ask, not not feel like you know what's best, is really what's gotten us where we're at. Reaching out to others, and then also giving back. I just had a, a gentleman. Walmart just put a huge requirement on us for some new systems, and so the general contractors. There's a couple that I met from day one. They're calling me. Hey, you know, can you give me something for your safety system? Well, I mean, you can have my whole system, because again, guess what? In a couple months, I might need help them with, some, you know, with something. So mentoring is huge. You know, Nabo is who we got this opportunity with Maria Sharapova, and I've been involved with Nabo about five years. So we have a roundtable of, you know, very successful women in Columbus that. I wouldn't be where I'm at today without those women. It's it's crazy. Every piece I look back at, I learn from another person. So again, it's just continuing to be open and share. And you know, with Maria, it's she's got a passion right now for women. She's so busy, but again, it's in her heart to share other women, with, you know, help other women. And so she and Navo team together. There's it's like a 12-month program that we're going to go through, and we'll get opportunities, you know, to leverage some of her you know, her notoriety and her fame, you know, et cetera. But yeah, so it's just, again, more learning and more sharing. And know. because of the opportunity of other women wanting to teach and work with other women. Yeah, exactly. Lauren, for you, it's so busy. It's been busy for you. Do you have opportunities to mentor as much as you would like right now? Kind of like, where are you with all of that in your life? Um, well, I'm in, a, I'm in a weird spot because I'm still so new that I feel like I need mentored. <laughs> so, um, I, but at the same time, I do employ a, a large number of young women. So um, the majority of our bakers are women. Um, and uh, the management staff for the bakery is also women. And so um, I think in terms of like on a smaller scale, just our day to day, I'm able to mentor them in terms of giving them responsibility and letting them make more money and uh, take on more. So that's huge for me, but at this point, um, I think that when we first moved here, I, I was telling Denise that like when we first moved here and we nobody knew who we were, we didn't have a shop, um, I went up to Jenny Brittenbauer from Jenny's Ice Cream at a bar and I was and I introduced myself and I was like, I'm gonna open a bakery and I'd love to talk to you. And she gave me her cell phone number, I went to her office, she met with me and my husband for like two and a half hours. Went, and we had no, I mean, she had no reason to meet with us at all. Um, and She must have been excited about what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, well, too. and she's such, she's so into mentoring small businesses and small business owners, and so we still, I mean, when we were deciding whether or not we wanted to make like a suburb jump, I emailed Jenny and I was like, can I talk to you about this? And she, again, gave us a large amount of her time to talk to her about what she thought. And then the restaurant community in Columbus um, has been really, really amazing in terms of um, you know, like the owners of North Star, they'll be like, I'll give you all my numbers. Like, I'll show you where I made mm -hmm. mistakes and you can, you know, do this. And um, 
And so then we do it for other people. So we know someone who's getting ready to open a bagel shop in the short north. And we were like, we'll take you out to dinner. We'll give you all our numbers. Like, these yeah. are the mistakes not to make. Yeah. Um, because in the end, everyone benefits from Columbus getting better and the food scene getting better. And so um, I feel like I've really benefited from getting mentorship. If you want to get personally mentored by Jenny, get on her Instagram page, follow her and get on her Insta stores. You will get your own mentorship one-on-one -on -one via yeah. your smartphone every yeah. day. She's great about mm -hmm. sharing the experience. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah. She did that. So Cindy, um, it, to the Sharapova point, you have a heart to do this, to help other folks too. Um, and you're working on some things that are that may be doing something like this coming up. I don't know how much you can share and not share right now, but you're you're wanting to help mentor other people in in, in a way, kind of correct, from what I understand. Yeah. So um, I, you know, I think there's coaching that you're paying for, and the mentorship is kind of like the PR side, like the free, you know, and so. That's true, that is true. So yes. I um, started working with a coach and paid a ton of money. Um, and so really trying to figure out how to um, bring some of that teachings and the, the coaching that I received and make it more affordable. Uh, and I didn't want to just do another book. So really we have kind of created, it's, a, it's an online kind of experience and it's called Fit Within. And uh, we're always worried about like being physically fit and everything, but how can you be fit within and living out your life purpose? So like creating a purpose statement and things like that. And so it's basically like a nine week coaching course and ten dollars a week or whatever so uh, a lot of these coaching online courses are five hundred to thousand dollars and so this is ninety nine dollars so just making it affordable because a lot of our consultants our salespeople they're running businesses with large teams and they can't afford like professional coaches and so a lot of it really was I mean really is for those kind of micro um, entrepreneurs and um, we're even rolling it out to some teachers uh, in schools so we have a school system out in Washington that um, they experienced a shooting and so the teachers you know and their confidence of you know after something like that happens and going to school and all the fear that they're faced with um, really just kind of helping them through it and so they can even get you know credits towards their um, you know, continuing education that they have to have with this program is, is still affordable. So trying to really invest in that way, but then I've also invested in, you know, different women through WPO or YPO. I mean, Catherine's sitting over there and we met through WPO and it's not just in those like little meetings, but Catherine and I have taken time actually outside. So if I know that I just need a chat with Catherine, whether it's about family, marriage, life, business, whatever, I will call her. I mean, she's in my phone, and I know that she would be right there on Saturday morning, you know, a fox in the snow, and we would be you know, Having your coffee, able to connect. Your coffee so, you know, I think there's mentoring down, but then there's also finding those people that you can do business and life with. And the last thing I just want to share is I'm super proud that you reached out to Jenny because um, we're all experiencing the same thing. It does not matter how big my business is or how 15 years versus four years. Like, there, I will learn just as much sitting and talking to you because your little entrepreneur spirit like rises that in me again because I get so operationally minded and focused on you know this and that so it goes both ways so don't ever feel intimidated by anyone's years of service their success or their size of company would be my best piece of advice got it so yeah, that's good great. job love it because there is something about that spark that entrepreneurial spark oh. that gets us going right it reminds you of you know where you started and what gets you out of bed every single day and whenever I lost that and I kind of say that I was in the pit of pits you know whenever I lost that purpose and that spark I was not functioning I was exhausted every single day and was I wasn't doing anything. Like I just, I'm like, why am I so exhausted? I like, I don't even feel like I'm working out anymore, you know. But it was just, I was exhausted from not living in that purpose and that excitement and having that spark. And I think sometimes we just assume, oh, well, that was just at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it's just like in marriage, you can find that spark again. And in business, is the same way. You can find your spark again. 
business love languages. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking I'm of when you're saying I'm big on that. the level, yes. <laughs> um, so let, let's go, we only have a little bit left and you guys have been great, so thank you. I could talk with you all day. Let's talk a little bit about um, what do you think will be influencing retail in the coming year? You know, um, what trends we might see, what's going on with UX versus UI. So Denise, I'll start with you. What are some of those trends that you see? And then we'll kind of go down the line. Well, I think, you know, every, I mean, everybody knows the whole brick and mortar and, and what's, you know, what's going to be online versus what's going to be physical. And, you know, it's so experience driven and, you know, people are transforming, they're collaborating, you know, they're doing whatever they can do to keep people coming into their space. So a lot of our customers, you know, they're bringing in, you know, like, well, let's say take a CVS, you know, they're bringing in a laboratory, they're bringing in a hearing center. They're just trying to drive that traffic and to stay relevant. So with us, it's, you know, transformation is the word. It's just, you know, what are they going to do to keep those people coming in to their, to their spaces? So, so transformation and changing. Yeah, that. yeah, okay. exactly. Um, well, we focus a lot of the time on, like you were saying, like brick and mortar. And um, our whole thing is uh, you, if you come to us, there's, there's a reason you're going to a Fox and Snow instead of a Starbucks. And so for us, it's, you like what is the experience of coming to our shop like we don't have wi-fi so you're not working so are you meeting with somebody are you reconnecting with a friend are you having alone time so for us we f we focus a lot on the experience and so we're trying to put a lot of our energy into customer service like how can we make sure that um it's worth going to a Fox and Snow instead of a Starbucks drive-through or something like that uh so we are trying to focus a lot on that and then um aesthetic is a really big deal for us and so um, not like how can we create an Instagram corner because we're not that minded but how can we make sure that each space looks beautiful or that um, it's a place that you want to spend your time and you want to hang out for two hours so uh, we just our whole thing is experience mm -hmm. got it and Sydney you're now you know talk fashion accessories all of these things space yeah so I really feel like that um, the the retail companies that are going to make it in the next 10 years are going to be those that really can take the data or the intelligence um, and use it to better the experience, whether it's the online experience or whether it's the in-store experience. And for us, we have to focus on both. So half of our business is coming through websites now, not through our uh, home parties. And so there's good and bad to that. Like on the website experience, I get to control all of that as the company versus like in the home party, like I don't know what they're doing, you know? And so she may be, you know, they may not have that stuff with them. Yes. So, okay. I, you know, so there's advantages, but on that website, you don't see the smile and you don't hear about the new mom that's about to have a baby and get to share, like, advice, you know, and you don't get those connecting points and those conversations. So how are we going to take all this intelligence and all this data and use it to improve our experience? Mm -hmm. And if... That we don't want to be marketed to. We're tired of being marketed to. We're, we know if it's a sponsored, you know, thing on our newsfeed or whatnot. So, um, you know, the advertisement I think is being overused versus using the data to change the experience and helping coach people, whether it's some a clerk in the store or whether it's a salesperson for your business, whether it's one of your employees if you're in the service industry. So how do you use the data to make your providers educated on how to provide the best experience that is going to be better than Starbucks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that totally mirrors upstairs in the keynote when Dana <laughs> Telsey was talking about this omni-channel experience, right? So having those face-to-face -face connections and the ability to have that, but then what are you doing digitally? So I think we're going to hear a lot about mm -hmm. the marriage of those two today, what you're seeing at 31. We are out of time. Can you give these ladies a hand, please? <laughs> so much for your insight. Best of luck to all of you. You all have incredible brands and we can't wait to see what's next. Thank you.